The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed in the following program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. All financial advice provided on this show is for entertainment and educational purposes only. The financial ideas and strategies discussed are only provided as a starting point for a conversation about money matters. With regard to your particular investments and financial strategies, consult your financial planner, CPA, or investment professional. All your financial decisions are yours and yours alone to make and subsequently are solely your responsibility. The information that is supplied through the context of the radio program and any repurposing of its content by the host or network is a combination and collection of solid financial investment understanding, opinion, and comments. This network, show, and its hosts are not liable for financial strategies, outcomes that you employ in any manner that result in any kind of loss. Shares of corporate sponsors may be the subject of buy or sell recommendations in Jay Taylor's newsletter in accordance with Jay's objective opinion. Welcome to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. This hour will help investors fix issues and achieve personal gain. Now, here's your host, Jay Taylor. Welcome to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. I'm your host, Jay Taylor. And as I like to remind you, each week I am also the author of a newsletter called Jay Taylor's Gold, Energy, and Tech Stocks. And that's a letter that goes all the way back, dates all the way back to 1981 when I first started writing it in October. 15th, 1981, when Anwar Sadat was assassinated that very day, and the gold price took a huge jump up. And I was uh, bullish on gold, but 20 years too early. Now we're, I think we're in a start of the last leg up in, a, uh, in what I think is going to be the most phenomenal bull market uh, of a lifetime. We saw 10 straight years of up, uh, ups, uh, up market for gold, uh, a bit of a pullback last year, nothing out of the uh, usual. However, as uh, difficult as it's been for those of us on the long side, nonetheless, uh, I believe we are at a bottoming formation right now and that uh, those that are long in gold will do exceptionally well going forward. So I just mention all that because uh, the primary focus, not the exclusive focus, but the primary focus of Jay Taylor's Gold Energy and Tech Stocks is gold and gold mining shares. Also, uh, my company, Taylor Hard Money Advisors, is in partnership with What is Chen Buying, What is Chen Selling?, uh, an excellent newsletter, and Chen uh, is also fairly bullish on gold, although he covers a, a more diverse uh, group of kinds of companies than, uh, than I tend to cover. So uh, with regard to Chen's letter, you do need to put your name on a waiting list to sign up for that letter. Go to miningstocks.com, miningstocks.com, put your name on a waiting list, and at the first 10 days of the new uh, calendar quarter, Chen will be accepting new subscribers. You can sign up for my letter at any time at miningstocks.com as well. I'd also like to encourage you to can you continue sending your questions, comments, criticisms, praises, what have you, whatever your uh, thinking is, to questions for Taylor at gmail.com. That's questions, the number four, Taylor at gmail.com. And you can also follow me on Twitter. My handle is jtaylormedia.com. I do want to thank each of you. 
uh, again for listening to this show. I, I think it's uh, obviously that's what this show is about. Our listeners I want to thank our sponsors for making this show economically viable. Our sponsors uh, are Caden Resources and Ganey Capital Corporation. And next week, joining us will be Cornerstone Capital. Now, I'm really proud to have these three companies as sponsors to this uh, to this show because I think all three of them have an excellent chance of becoming something extraordinary. Caden Resources is up. Uh, from a dollar to two dollars and forty two cents from January till now uh, that 's a company that uh, we talked to the CEO a couple of weeks ago he 'll be on with us again next week and uh, this is a company I think is in the process of uh, very likely putting uh, together a multi million ounce world class uh, open pitable relatively high grade deposit in Mexico. All the signs look very, very positive, uh, as we talked about last week. Uh, so Caden Resources is one of the sponsors. $2.42 today. Ganey Capital Corp., also in Mexico, is a company that is, uh, is starting out with small-scale production. Uh, that stock has done very well, too, from about 7.5 cents, gained uh, up to $0.24 cents earlier this year. Now it's back to around $0.11, cents, but we'll be talking to them sometime in the near future uh, in, on, this, uh, uh, on this show as well. And Cornerstone Capital, who's coming on next week as a sponsor, has a, a, a very large scale, looks very large scale, uh, uh, copper gold porphyry target in Ecuador. And some of the most phenomenal uh, intercepts that I have seen has come out of there, and we'll be talking to you more about Cornerstone Capital as well uh, in the next several weeks. Well, today's show I've titled uh, Revisiting Ian Gordon's Forecast of $1,000 Dow, $4,000 Gold. And uh, so that's the title of today's show. Axel Merck, Ian Gordon, Daniel McAdams, and Chris Rossini uh, will be returning uh, today. And as the equity markets look to be topping, certainly, uh, you know, some people believe that's the case. Of course, the mainstream will tell you that it's onward and upward. Ian believes that, uh, that we are going to be looking at something a very almost catastrophic uh, on the downside for Dow. At the same time, he is talking about uh, $4,000 gold. Now, if that sounds a little crazy to you, and I wouldn't blame you if it does, uh, don't automatically dismiss what Ian has to say because he has, with respect to the bigger picture at least, has been spot on uh, in terms of predicting the direction of things since I first met up with him in the late 1990s. One of the most important markets in the world right now, at this point in world history, is the market for U.S. Treasuries. And I wish I had a nickel for all of the people who thought a long time ago that the bull market in U.S. Treasuries were over. Well, that, uh, you know, that bull market started in 1982 when Paul Volcker uh, slammed on the brakes in monetary creation and caused interest rates to rise. I still remember my first mortgage was a 17.5% mortgage. We had very high double-digit treasury interest rates, and savers were richly rewarded. Uh, but in any event, uh, lots of people have said over many years, over the last number of 5, 10 years, that the bull market in treasuries has got to be over. Well, it hasn't been. Treasury markets continue to go higher and higher. So time and time again, all of my friends have been wrong. Axel Merck has re- recently written an essay on this topic, so we are fortunate to have him uh, to join us today. He's going to be with us in just a couple of minutes after our first break. Uh, if interest rates start to rise dramatically with the enormous amount of debt in our financial system, it could have certainly a catastrophic effect on everything that you and I do. In just a couple of minutes, as I say, Axel will be joining me uh, to talk about his view on interest rates and gold uh, and other topics as well. During the second hour of today's show, Chris Rossini uh, will return to continue his discussion uh, on uh, 
his book called Set Money Free, What Every American Needs to Know About the Federal Reserve. Now, we just didn't have time to do justice to Chris's book last week, so he's going to be joining me in the second hour for a fairly extensive discussion. And then Daniel McAdams of the Ron Paul Institute for Peace and Prosperity also uh, returns uh, with me in the second hour today to talk about what's really going on in the Ukraine and the Middle East as opposed to what we hear from our warmongering uh, propaganda machine. Now, let me give you uh, just an example of the kind of, uh, of disinformation that we are getting on a regular basis in uh, the U.S. Me- media. One of the issues our mainstream media is, is telling us is that uh, the Europeans may have a tough time this winter because they're going to be frozen out because Putin will deny them uh, the oil and gas that, he is, that is being produced in Russia. Well, that's not exactly true. Uh, Today, as Daniel McAdams will talk about, the Ukrainian government, that is the U.S.-backed Ukrainian government, is in the process of passing a bill. Uh, It looks like they're going to pass a bill. We'll see what comes out of it. That would not allow Russia to transfer its oil and gas through the Ukrainian pipelines, that is, pipelines that link up to uh, Europe that travel through the Ukraine. So what the Ukrainian government is doing is saying, no, we won't let the, uh, the oil and gas go through these pipelines, and then they'll blame Putin for not allowing the oil and gas to go through those pipelines. Well, you probably haven't heard much, if anything, about uh, this bill that's being passed in the Ukraine, and the reason you haven't heard about it is because our propagandists don't want you to know what's really going on. Well, that's the kind of information that is uh, constantly available at the Ron Paul Institute for Peace and Prosperity, and I really would suggest that you go there and avail yourself to the enormously important information, I believe much more truthful information than we're generally getting in the mainstream media. So uh, in any event, these are the kinds of things we're going to talk about with Daniel McAdams in the second hour of today's show. Uh, These are very worrisome uh, issues that are going on in the world today, and if Americans aren't really aware of what's going on, well, what can we do? If, if we're given uh, falsehoods to, uh, to uh, plan our lives by, it's not, it's not a very good thing. Um, so uh, what I really think is at the heart of the problems that we're having more than anything uh, is a decrepit economy, an economy that is really in trouble. And uh, the Anglo-American empire needs to continue to expand, to grow its economy so it can service the debt. The debt has grown exponentially, and essentially what's happened is the American economy has reached a point in which we are broke. We are, we are, the Western world is in big, big trouble. It is financially bankrupt. And so what we have to do is strike out and look for more places to send our industries to grow. And uh, it is becoming, I think, one of the reasons that we are in a uh, in an uptrend in wars and rumors of wars, uh, it's uh, it's very discouraging in many ways, but it is what it is, and we try to find out what is the truth on this show, uh, and so uh, that's what we are going to do. So we are going to um, we have a lot to talk about today. Uh, we're going to go to Axel Merck. Uh, we're going to go to a commercial break first, and when we come back, we'll be talking to Axel Merck. So don't go away. We'll be right back. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. 
Caden Resources is an advanced gold mining exploration company with two exceptional gold projects in Mexico. The company's flagship El Barqueño project represents the most valuable opportunity that an exploration company can have, which is the continuous discovery of high-grade gold from surface in arguably the best mining jurisdiction in Mexico. The company's second project, Morelos Sur, has one of the most talked-about land positions in the heart of Mexico's largest producing gold belt. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings of the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our wall. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. Voice America Business Network. The bottom line in business. Listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. If you have a question or comment about today's show, Jay would love to hear from you at 1 866 472 5790. That's 1 866 472 5790. You can also send an email to questionsfortaylor at gmail.com. That's questions, the number 4, Taylor at gmail.com. Now, back to our program. Welcome back to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. I'm your host, Jay Taylor, and I'm really pleased to have with me once again Axel Merck. Uh, Axel is the President and Chief Investment Officer of Merck Investments, which manages the Merck Funds, uh, and there are funds that have performed very well in the past, and Axel's insights have been very helpful to me, uh, and uh, he also has put together a, a very unique gold product that we'll ask him about in just a second. Welcome, Axel. Glad to have you back with me. Great to be with you. Yeah, before, uh, we, I want to really talk to you about the uh, the debt markets, the equity markets, too, but uh, the, the currency markets and the debt markets primarily today, if we could. But before we get to that, uh, I'd like to ask you about your new product, and we did talk to you about this once before, but I think for those that might not have heard about it, they should be well aware of your New York Stock Exchange-listed ETF, gold ETF, called uh, symbol OUNZ, O-U-N-Z. Uh, and you know what I like about this so well, Axel, is I can put this into my, uh, you know, I can uh, type in ounce in my little quote machine here, and I'm, and I'm getting an, uh, an accurate reading of what the gold price is uh, on a second-by-second basis, because right now I'm looking at OUNZ, it's selling at $13.09, and then I look over at Kitco and I see the price of gold is $1,309.70, so almost, almost to the penny. Uh, it tracks the actual real gold price. Uh, but that's not all. Tell us a little bit about ounce because I think the, the main thing about ounce that really stands out and people should be aware of is that you can sell your shares and have gold sent to you. Is that, is that right? Almost. You don't sell it. You're actually taking delivery of what you own. And the reason that's a, that's a difference is because um, taking delivery of the gold is not a taxable event. 
Um, and but to to back up a step, the reason why it tracks the price of gold is because it is gold. When you own the Merck Gold Trust O U N Z, you have a prorater ownership of the gold we hold. We hold London bars in London, but then and that's different from other gold ETFs. Any investor, not just the big institutions, can request delivery. And not only can you take delivery of the London bars at the time that you choose to take delivery, you can have it converted into coins. And we had one of these deliveries happen just recently. Entire process took about a week, um, and uh, it works. I mean, and the the key here is that if you like buying an ETF, but at some point change your mind and rather own the physical, you can do it with this product. And the other ETFs, you would first have to sell it, potentially pay taxes, and then buy with the the rest um, the, the coin. Whereas here, you can just take delivery. Well, that's a very important distinction then. You don't have to pay taxes uh, on the delivery of the gold, I guess, until you sell your gold. If you sell it at a profit, then obviously you have to pay taxes on that. Exactly, exactly. Right. Well, so how do people go about then? Uh, what do they have to do to get their, to, to take delivery? You just have to send you a, a well, message I mean, first of some of all, kind. You, you buy and sell it like any other ETF. You buy it on an exchange. If you want to take delivery, um, the best thing is to come to our website, MerckGold.com, and there are easy-to-follow instructions. And uh, basically, you fill an application with us, and uh, you, there's a fee that you have to pay, take delivery, and then you transfer um, the shares to us. We have to pre-approve the delivery applications, and we check that everything is fine, and then we say, all right, here's a window that you can submit the shares, and that can be the next day, that can be in a few days. We have to agree on a delivery location. And by the way, some people in the media pointed out that taking delivery is expensive. Well, because somebody paid for American Buffaloes paid 4.6%. If you go to a local coin dealer, I looked it up the other day, it was 4.4%, I think, that you paid. So it's mm-hmm. comparable. Uh, this is the premium you have to pay because a coin typically trades at a premium over the spot price, and then and, and clearly that has to be reflected. But the, the uh, because we hold London gold, when you buy and sell it on exchange, you can trade near the spot price. When you have it converted to coin, obviously you have to pay the, the premium that, um, that the coin is, is, is costing. Sure, because it costs some money to take that bar and, and put it into a coin form and then to ship it and all of that. So, yeah, it's, uh, it, it makes sense, and that certainly isn't a, an onerous uh, commission. We'd all rather not pay any commissions, but we have to get real. I mean, uh, I, maybe the socialists can think like that, but anybody that's rational has to realize that that it costs <laughs> well, money to we, do we business try to and make it free as, things. As- Yes, we try to make it as smooth and as painless as possible, as quick as possible. We're not trying to make uh, in, any any profit of this. We have sure. certain costs. Obviously, we have to retire the shares. We have to um, source the coins. And by the way, for those who are concerned, the coins may not be there. Well, we, you can always request delivery of the London bars. Um, and we have uh, we have found a mechanism that we have a very scalable product. We got a patent on our process. We're the first ones in the industry to to allow this. And uh, because we thought it was unique. We filed a patent. The patent office agrees. This is a unique um, feature that no other gold ETF or other precious metals ETF has at this stage. Mm-hmm. Well, that's, uh, yeah, I just wanted you to, to talk a little bit about that because I think it's a very important product, a very unique product, and uh, certainly listeners to this show are interested in gold and silver, precious metals, uh, but uh, it's O-U-N-Z, folks. Begin tracking it. And it's very easy to buy it, just like you do a stock. And then if you want to take delivery, uh, Axel just explained how you can do that. And what I'd like to talk to you today about, Axel, or have you talk to us more accurately said, is uh, uh, an essay you wrote uh, titled, The Fed Exit a, uh, Fed Exit a Blue Pill? Question mark. 
Uh, in, your, in this essay, you stated that uh, while we are busy arguing whether the Fed's exit will consist of rising rates, reverse repos, or the trimming of its massive portfolio, the Fed may well be fooling all of us. Investors must have been swallowing lots of blue pills not to see the illusion hiding in plain sight, end of quote. What are you talking about? What illusion are you talking about? Well, what I'm talking about is real interest rates. When we talk about interest rates, we typically look at the normal interest rates that, that we see, that we are near zero interest rate environment. But what really matters is interest rates after inflation. And I'm not even talking about the, whether the CPI, the consumer price index, is accurate or not. But if you just take the CPI at face value, well, that obviously drags down from the zero interest rate environment we, we are in right now. And not only do we have negative real rates, those rates have become more negative. Now, if you put this together, that the Janet Yellen, the head of the Fed, wants to keep rates low for a very long time, and even as she raises rates, wants to be reluctant to raise rates, and she said as much, well, guess what? Real interest rates are going to be more negative over time. So not only mm-hmm. are we worse off in getting no interest, but we're being robbed of purchasing power, and that robbing, the financial repression, is going to accelerate. And so there is, uh, sure, nominal rates might be picking up next year. At some point, the Fed might be, quote-unquote, raising rates. But on a purchasing power basis, um, uh, Janet Yellen has all but promised that rates will continue to be negative for a very long time and even become more negative over time. Um, Mario Draghi, that of the European Central Bank, has said it very explicitly. Rates are, real rates are negative and will become more negative over time. Um, there is no, by the way, rate divergence or anything like that, um, that the, the ECB is suddenly going into negative territory. We are negative negative territory in the in the US. In fact, on a real basis, after inflation, our rates in the US are lower than those in Europe. The Europeans have a very difficult time inducing inflation. Here, because the banking system is much healthier, it's much easier to get inflation going. In Europe, it's a mess, but the mess conversely means that, that they cannot debase the currency as easily as they do here. Okay, so what you're saying is the European banking situation is not as good as ours. Um, it's not as strong, or, or maybe it's not as uh, as weak as ours. So, the, I mean, the U.S. banking system is stronger, so that means we can make more loans. That means we can start to stimulate uh, through the fractional reserve banking system demand in the economy. Yes, and it's, and, and it's not going to happen overnight, but if you, if you look at what's been happening in the U.S., the unemployment numbers have been coming down. Now, clearly, plenty of folks out of a job, but wage pressures are starting to creep into the system. Inflationary pressures start popping up, and all of that is much more easily done, as you point out, when the banking system is healthy, when through the fractional reserve banking system, loans can be extended and so forth, whereas in Europe, because they haven't really tackled the issues properly, uh, the entire machinery can't really get working. Now, it obviously doesn't help that Ukraine is a mess next door, um, and, and there are some trade sanctions now, now going back and forth. But overall, inflation has a much more difficult time being, being rooted in the Eurozone. Now, clearly, if we do get more inflation in the U.S., that will be probably one of our best export items going forward. So it's going to um, hit the rest of the world as well. But we're going to keep rates low. Inflation is going to pick up. That means real rates are, are going to get more negative. And now, at the other end of the spectrum is what we can afford. Um, with the government debt we have, I would argue we cannot afford positive real rates in the long run. Mm-hmm. We, we have a government that has a strong incentive to debase the purchasing power of the debt. We have consumers who have a strong interest in having the value of their debt being debased. 
Well, who's holding the bag? Well, foreigners own our bag, uh, our debt, and, and, and so um, guess how these policies are going to end up? That these policies have an, have an incentive built in to debase the purchasing power of the currency. Now, as you pointed out earlier, other countries have related problems, um, and it's one of the, the reasons why we put together a gold product where we do think that gold is going to do quite well in an environment where, where real rates are going to be negative for a very, very long time. Mm-hmm. You know, Axel, as you're talking about this negative rates and how they're likely to get more negative, I've seen this movie before. Now, you're too young, I think. You're a lot younger than I am. I know you weren't around. You were, if you were around, you were probably in grade school the, in the last bull market in, uh, in gold. I was here to see it. But I also remember how, how the Federal Reserve folks at that time uh, Mr. Burns and uh, G. William Miller and those guys that were at the Fed were doing the same thing. They were pushing real interest rates negative, and that had a catastrophic a- effect on, on inflation. And then, of course, the gold price rose from $35 to $850. Um, so I, it seems to me that's what we're doing again. And then, of course, to save the currency, to save the dollar, and as I understand it, going back from things I've read, the Europeans, uh, the bankers and so forth, put a lot of pressure on Volcker at that time uh, to straighten things out and to try to, uh, to get the dollar on sound footing again. Uh, and so he slowed down the growth of money, and we had double-digit interest rates. My first mortgage rate was a 17.5% rate here in New York City. Um, what, what would happen? And do you think at some point we'll have to have another Volcker come along to save the economy? Or how do you see this thing playing out? Well, first of all, even Volcker, he never took us back to the price level of the early 70s. He is uh-huh. the hero for plateauing out at a, at a higher price level. So even a Paul Volcker, who, who kind of puts interest rates to the stratosphere to try to kill inflation, he doesn't undo inflation. He just levels it off. Yeah. Now, Nowadays, we would have a revolution um, if we had rates as high as Volcker had them. Now, when I talk to Fed officials, both former and current, they believe that they will do the right thing if and when needed to hike rates. I just yeah. don't see how that's possible. If you, if you use the numbers of the Congressional Budget Office um, and project them out 10 years or so, um, if we go back to just the average that we've paid on our interest, we would be spending a trillion dollars more a year just to service our debt. Now, you can argue whether these numbers are accurate or not, but the order of magnitude is just staggering, and I don't see how we have the political will to either cut expenditures to make that affordable or to raise taxes to make that affordable. So something has got to give. Well, thank goodness we got a Fed that can print the money. So we'll have something similar like in Japan that's going to assure we're going to have a cheap cost of borrowing, but something is going to give. There's always going to be a valve. In my view, the valve is the currency. As you have these incentives baked in to have inflation, to keep the cost of borrowing low. Um, at some point, the central bankers are not going to be able to keep those prices low enough. But in that process, um, there's going to be a lot of risk on what is formerly safe on cash um, and notably on the purchasing power of the dollar. Uh, so, Axel, if I understand you, what you're saying is that you think you know the dollar is, is going to suffer, then that will be the, the uh, release valve, if you will, to let the pressure out of the pressure cooker. Is that is that what exactly. I understand you? So something, the dollar should be should it's, 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 so that so yeah, the dollar should become very weak I'm, at some point. 
it's one reason. Well, there's a risk of that. Um, yes. And, and the, the point is when you plan ahead, you should look at the world in terms of risk scenarios. And mm-hmm. if, if that scenario unfolds, it was in 2003 that the then head of the European Central Bank said, we hope and pray the global adjustment process will be slow and gradual. Well, the global adjustment process is a, is a code word for dollar crash. I, when, when central bankers revert to hopes and prayers, I get concerned. Yeah. And so it doesn't mean the dollar will crash tomorrow, but there is that risk of the debasement of a currency. And, and, and as such, well, we've got to do something about it, and why not tackle at the core at the currency? Mm-hmm. If I understand your, your, what you're saying here is that the Euro, European real rates are lower than ours. They're both negative, both the U.S. and the European rates, but that ours are likely to get more negative than the European interest rates. Therefore, I would think all of the th- things being equal, which of course they never are in economics, that we would expect the dollar to gain strength against the euro, or do you not see that? No, no, it's too weak. The real rates are higher in Europe. The real rates are actually almost at zero in Europe because we've got these deflationary pressures coming through, just slightly negative. Right. Um, right. And in the U.S., they're, they're much more negative. Now, these things don't yes. happen tomorrow. I'm not suggesting you should pile all your money into, into the euro. All currencies are risky. And gold, by the way, is risky as well if your purchasing power is in dollars because it fluctuates. Um, yes. The point here is one of diversification and active management of currency risk. And you can tackle currency risk at the core by managing it with, with other currencies by managing it with gold. And clearly, you can do it with other investments as well, and they, they all have their different risk profiles. But the key is you're not safe just holding cash either, um, as, as one is preached to in, in, in Economics 101. Oh, for sure. Now, uh, just I think it would be uh, important to let our listeners know that you actually have a fund that manages currencies. Isn't that correct? We have a fleet of funds that do that from, from different ways. We have what I'd call a currency war strategy. We have managed basket of currencies. Or we have a couple of different mutual funds except for the gold product, other than the, the gold product as well. And so we try to address those things at the core. Um, and, and I'm not suggesting these are, these are the answers to all the questions out there, but just as Bernanke always had his toolbox, um, investors may want to think about enhancing their own toolbox because just – be aware that governments, and not just the U.S. government, but uh, governments do not share the same interests as investors have. A government in debt has different interests than an investor who's trying to preserve the purchasing power of, of his or her savings. Yeah, very good. Well, I would just tell our listeners, it's MerckInvestments.com, I believe, correct me if I'm wrong, but it's MerckInvestments.com where people can go to to check up your, uh, to, to, to really investigate the various funds and, and tools that you have in your toolbox. Is that right? Yes, that's a good starting point. We have a free newsletter. We, I'm on Twitter. You can follow me there. And, and obviously, there's information on our mutual funds and, and our gold ETF as well. How, how can people get your free newsletter? Um, they can sign up at MerckInvestments.com. There's a big button somewhere that you can click on and, and okay. give us your email address. That's probably Excellent. the easiest way. Excellent. I would uh, strongly suggest to our listeners they do that. I, I am a recipient of that newsletter. I appreciate it and really look forward to receiving it. Uh, Axel, I want to thank you very much. We are out of time. I want to thank you very much, though, for coming on and talking to us. We'll uh, do it again sometime in the near future, I hope. My pleasure. Well, thank you. Uh, so, folks, don't go away, though. We're going to be right back. We have to go to a commercial break, and when we come back, we're going to talk to Ian Gordon. Now, Ian uh, has suggested in the past uh, his, his projection for the Dow is 1,000. I mean, that, if that won't scare you, I don't know what will. And $4,000 gold. So uh, let's see if he still thinks that. Uh, stick around and, uh, and listen to what Ian has to say as soon as we come back from the break. Don't go away. I'll be right back.
We're always talking business. Talk to an expert. Call now. Toll free. 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. Caden Resources is an advanced gold mining exploration company with two exceptional gold projects in Mexico. The company's flagship El Barqueño project represents the most valuable opportunity that an exploration company can have, which is the continuous discovery of high-grade gold from surface in arguably the best mining jurisdiction in Mexico. The company's second project, Morelos Sur, has one of the most talked-about land positions in the heart of Mexico's largest producing gold belt. Have you had a chance to check out Voice America's online magazine and blog, Press Pass? If you love our hosts and shows, check out articles that give an even deeper perspective. Plus topics about health and fitness, movie reviews, philosophy, business tips and tactics, spirituality, positive thought, current events, and even more about your favorite host. It's just a click away at VAPressPass.com. That's VAPressPass.com. VA Press Pass by Voice America. All access, all the time. The business community's first choice in Internet Talk Radio. Voice America Business Network. Listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. If you have a question or comment about today's show, Jay would love to hear from you at 1 866 472 5790. That's 1 866 472 5790. You can also send an email to questionsfortaylor at gmail.com. That's questions, the number 4, Taylor at gmail.com. Now, back to our program. Welcome back to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. I'm your host, Jay Taylor, and I'm really pleased to have with me an old friend, Ian Gordon. He's uh, back with me. He's been several times on this show over the last several years, um, and so it's really good to have him back with uh, me. I suppose most of you are familiar with Ian. Uh, newcomers may not be, but uh, he is globally renowned uh, for as an economic forecaster. He writes uh, the Long Wave Analyst newsletter, and uh, I would tell people before we go any further that they should go to Long Wave Group. Group.com, longwavegroup.com, where you can read uh, Ian's uh, many uh, writings that he has there, many, a lot of information, not only Ian's, but he is writing very prolifically these days. Uh, now that he is, uh, well, he's not a stockbroker anymore, so I guess he has more time to read. He is a prolific reader. And uh, I think the only other person that I've ever met of any friends of mine, anyway, that uh, have a library as extensive as Ian Gordon's would be my friend Gene Epstein of Barron's, who's on this show from time to time. But not only does Ian read a lot, uh, he, he's a great student of history, and he pulls that history together, helps uh, to look at what's happened in the past, cause and effect, and to project it into the future, I think, as well as anybody I have met up with over the years. And uh, certainly, Ian was one of the first people... Uh, back in the late 90s, and I think it was in 1998, I think, when I first met up with Ian, uh, he was calling for the next secular bull market in gold. And boy, has he been right. We've not seen a market as bullish as this in a long time. I don't know if you can think of any other market that went up 10 straight years before taking a breather in 2013. But Ian had that figured out going back to 1998. And perhaps before that, he was starting to form his views on the market. So th- this is a, a very wise man who's been around uh, the sun quite a number of times, as have I. And it's really pleasure. It's really a pleasure to have you back with me again, Ian. Thanks for joining me. 
Well, it's always a pleasure to speak with you, Jay. It is always fun I, uh, because you are intellectually stimulating and, and so many people, uh, well, not on this show because those are the kind of people that I go after, but uh, if you turn the mainstream media on, you may as well just, you know, uh, I don't know, may as well just close your ears because it's going to be the same old, same old. Uh, so I have to get right to it, Ian. You know, the most, one of the most spectacular calls you've made and because you are looking at the long-term picture, the long wave, uh, you know, it's uh, timing, I wouldn't say, is necessarily uh, your greatest forte, but you certainly do take a great picture, a great, have a great view of the future over the longer term. So you, a couple of years back, are suggesting before this bull market is over, we're going to see a sort of a catastrophic decline in the Dow. You, you said Dow 1000 is not a silly number. One time you wrote an article stating that. And at the same time, you think gold is going to go to $4,000 or something like that. Do you still think that? And if so, uh, give us the rationale. Well, the rationale for Dow 1000 is simply because, because my work that... Uh, Really, we're in what I call the winter stock bear market, and it's always been the worst stock bear market of the uh, long wave cycle. And it really has, effectively has to correct all the ongoing bullishness that's been in the stock market from the beginning of, uh, of the, you know, from the, the, the start of the cycle in the spring. Mm-hmm. But particularly to correct that... Uh, that huge bull market that always appears in the autumn of the cycle. So, you know, you can go back and look at these autumn bull markets, and we're only in the fourth long-term cycle right now, all Kondratiev cycle. And um, the bull market started in 1982 uh, with the Dow at 777 and uh, rose to 11,750 in 2000. We've been higher than that in 2007, and of course right now we're higher than that. But I still say that the 2000 peak was the uh, autumn stock bull market peak, and what we've had since then is really a Federal Reserve, a paper money-induced uh, stock bull market, um, and the reason that I pick a thousand for the for my target is that it's really akin to the bear market, the previous winter bear markets, and particularly the 1929-32 winter bear market, and that uh, the Dow lost uh, ninety about ninety percent of its value between uh, 1929 and 32. And the transportation index, which at that time was every bit as important as the Dow index because it had been the senior index uh, prior to the industrials coming to the fore, uh, that it lost 93%. And the, the other thing that we know from just basic technical analysis, areas of resistance uh, ultimately become support. And the Dow actually hit 1,000 12 times before it, it finally penetrated to the upside mm-hmm. in 1982. The initial time that it hit there was actually at the end of spring. There was a big bull market in spring. There always is. And when it hit 995 in June 1966. And thereafter, as I say, there were another 11 occasions when it got to 1,000, but could never really get through it, that mm. number until 1982. So those that resistance point ultimately becomes a support point. So that we know that the winter bear market 
when it does uh, proceed, is going to be every bit as vicious as the winter bear market of 1929-32 or even the winter bear market of uh, 1874 uh, down to about 1890. Uh, These bear markets basically correct almost everything that the preceding bull market has, has enjoyed. And again, if you look at uh, 2021, the Dow, when it started the autumn bull market in 1921, was priced at 66 points mm. and rose to 381 in, in, October, uh, in September 1929, but it corrected to 42 points in 1932. That's below the point from whence it began. And our, the big autumn bull market in this cycle began at 777 on the Dow. So I don't think 1,000 is any way unrealistic as a number that we can expect when this winter bear market ultimately takes hold. Well, that is a shocker because uh, people are not uh, prepared for that. Even uh, Charles Nanner, uh, who is calling for the Dow to be cut in half over the next uh, the next five years or so uh, is, is certainly not looking at anything like that, although it was interesting. I remember when you were on with uh, Robert Prechter one time on this show, uh, you uh, you joked about how you were the bull because uh, Prechter was looking for something uh, considerably below 1,000 on the Dow. He still is. The number that they have is uh, around 400 on the Dow. Yeah. Well, he has his own methodology, but you're being a bit more conservative, I guess. Uh, what's the timing for this, Ian? Well, it, it could be, and I just wrote a piece saying that um, the stock market may have peaked uh, here at the end of July. Uh, one of the things we use and I find to be very valuable as a, as a tool in indicating a turn in, in the market is what we call a key point reversal. Mm-hmm. And that is made when the uh, stock or whatever it is that you're uh, valuing makes a new high and then closes b- below the close of the previous bar. So mm-hmm. when it does it on a monthly basis, as we saw in July, the Dow made a new high in July, an all-time high in July, but it closed below the high that it had made in June, which was uh, the highest closing price up to that point in time. Uh-huh. So that close, that reversal, is a very strong indication uh, that we've now, on the long-term basis, uh, reversed the trend, the upwards trend in the Dow. And um, also, the, I also wrote a piece that uh, I think at the same time, showing that we've got a, a, a major symmetry here in the in the stock markets, uh, you peaked in 2000, you went down into 2002. You peaked in 2007, you went down into 2009. Mm-hmm. And now you peaked in 2014. So you have essentially two down, five up, two down, five up. Mm-hmm. And uh, uh, those twos and fives are Fibonacci numbers, which are very uh, valuable sort of in terms of uh, plotting uh, market changes, and so I really think that you know that sequence two five two five is very good. And I, I, I said you know symmetry in the markets in the seven year itch mm-hmm. um, because we're really we're seven years 
We made a peak in 2000, another in 2007, and now we've made another in 2014. So those things are sort of uh, further evidence that we may have already seen the peak in in the Dow and that uh, uh, we're now heading down. And uh, there will be no stopping at this time because the Federal Reserve basically has been the instigator of creating... The, the new bullishness, because every time the Dow's gone down, as it did between 2000 and 2002, uh, Greenspan dropped rates from 6 to 1% at that time and flooded the banks with money, got the market re- revived in 2002 to 2007. Rates followed that move up. So we went back from 1% back to 6% in 2007. Then market uh, crashed into 2009, March 2009, and rates, of course, Bernanke bought rates down to 0%, but rates haven't followed this bullish move. So there's no uh, means of the Federal Reserve to effectively uh, bring down rates to try and uh, get the, rejig the, the stock market. And there's no means either by effectively pushing money into the banking system because they're already, you know, been pushing a trillion dollars a year um, into the banks. And uh, if they do anything like that again, uh, the dollar will basically, uh, the dollar will become worthless. Well, we had, uh, we were just talking to Axel Merck, who, um, who I think agrees with you longer term and the shorter term, though, he thinks that... Uh, uh, that we're going to see continually lower real rates of interest, and that uh, you know, the, the, playing the devil's advocate here, Ian. Of course, the mainstream, the people that you see every day on CNBC. I don't suppose you waste your time with that, but if you listen to the mainstream and they're talking about, well, why can't we just uh, do a helicopter drop and literally put uh, trillions of dollars in the hands of common folks and let them go out and spend it? you'd certainly be able to generate economic activity that way and over, overwhelm the deflationary forces that you see. What do you say to that argument? Well, again, I mean, it's just another way of, uh, of destroying the dollar. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, the more dollars you create, the more you make it uh, of less value. So um, I just don't see that that's a, a real game. I mean, uh, what are you going to do? put money into uh, people's banks, bank accounts. I mean, basically, um, that money in those banks' accounts is ready to be taken uh, should the banks get into trouble again. So I, I, I think that that really is not an option. Mm-hmm. I mean, uh, it's a sort of a, it's a panic call that people are sort of a, seeing that might happen or could happen. I don't think it, it, I think it's impossible that something like that can happen. All right, so if we're looking at the kind of scenario you're pointing with a, a deflationary implosion, equity market, starting, I guess, with the equity markets, the equity markets tank, and then what happens? You have an awful lot of defaults, margin clerks calling in loans. Uh, you have uh, an economy that grinds to a complete halt or something close to that. And then you have, um, then, then you should have prices that are falling. How do you get to $4,000 gold in that kind of environment? Well, it's really the same scenario as following 1929. Of course, the gold price was fixed at that time, uh, but the run to gold after the uh, after 1929 and the stock market crash and so on was uh, was massive. Everybody wanted gold, particularly as the U.S. banking system was collapsing at that time. Between 1929 and 19 
33, 10,000 U.S. banks failed. And um, so everybody was uh, essentially trying to uh, get gold. Uh, it wasn't only Americans who could legally do it by, you know, going to the bank with a $20 bill and getting a, a $20 gold piece, whether it was a Liberty or St. Gordon's $20 gold piece. Um, and people were, you know, hoarding gold like crazy because the, the whole system was effectively collapsing. The economy was collapsing, and that was bringing the banks down. The banks, banks had lent out money everywhere, uh, not only to the American people, but uh, also uh, to different countries around the world, uh, lots to Austria and China, uh, sorry, to Austria and Germany. And, of course, that money couldn't, couldn't come back. And uh, so, you know, the banks, the U.S. banks were collapsing, and everyone was so scared they went to gold. And it wasn't only gold that really benefited from this, even though the price was fixed initially at that $20.67 and then raised by Roosevelt to uh, $35 in January 1934. But the gold companies themselves, there was a massive move to gold, uh, to the gold companies. And what remained of capital flowed almost exclusively to gold in the 1930s. Here in Canada, there were ten. Uh, sorry, there were a hundred new gold mines put into operation between 1929 and 1930, and wow. Canadian gold production increased by two and a half times between wow. that time. So you could see that there was a and worldwide production uh, doubled between 1929 mm -hmm. and 1940. So everything was moving to gold because everything elsewhere was collapsing. Mm -hmm. You know, Ian, this really, uh, this really is in, in sync with Bob Hoy's view that, uh, you know, he, he believes this is the sixth major credit contraction in the last 300 years. He goes that South Sea bubble and various other things, the 1929-30 uh, event and so forth. But he's made the point that for a period of 15 to 20 years, the, with the real price of gold rising, it has uh, really done exactly what you said happened in the 1930s. A tremendous amount of capital that goes in uh, to seeking real honest money, money that can be trusted. Uh, and uh, so I guess that's what you're seeing. That's what you're saying we're going to see. We've seen, uh, we've had a couple of pretty tough years here, though, in the gold sector, Ian. Uh, do you think we're coming out of it now? It seems to me like we may be bottoming, uh, the gold price may be bottoming now. Is that, is that your read of it? Well, Jay... Uh, whenever gold uh, starts to sort of percolate and uh, against paper money, mm -hmm. governments always wage war on gold. Mm -hmm. And uh, w they've been doing that. You could say that the, the war on gold has started when Roosevelt confiscated gold and, and uh, made, it illegal for Americans to, uh, made it illegal for Americans to even own gold. And right. That was in 1933, and then you know when we, the price, the dollar was fixed to gold at 35 dollars. And by the way, that wasn't a real gold standard because only countries could exchange their dollars right. uh, for American gold. Americans themselves still couldn't uh, uh, own gold. Um, when 35 dollars, when countries decided that the Americans were printing too many dollars to uh, principally fighting uh, the Vietnam War, they they started to exchange their dollars 
for U.S. gold. And so at that time, the United States inveigled six other countries to set up the London gold pool, which was to effectively sell gold to keep the price at $35. And that lasted for six years, but even that was a failure. And eventually gold broke out of that $35. The London gold pool collapsed. Uh, France left it first. Uh, but the whole thing collapsed, and America, the United States was 50% of that, that pool, so America was 50, selling 50%, and the other countries were selling the other 50% to try and hold it at 35 So you've had these wars, and then you had the, the war on gold when Gordon Brown sold almost half the British gold holdings in uh, the late 1990s to try and hold the price down. So these wars are ongoing, and we've seen obvious takes on takedowns on gold in the COMEX. I mean, anybody who doesn't see that has to be blind when you get a massive sell of gold that hits the market all at once. So uh, these wars are trying to sort of in, in convince people that the paper currency is every bit as good as gold. Well, I think that that war is coming to an end. I think the wherewithal to... To wage that war is coming to an end, and gold hereafter, and I think we're almost we're beginning, we're starting to see that gold is beginning to uh, shine again. Um, then gold will really start to take off. I, I'm, I'm a true believer that eventually you will not be able to get gold at any price, the physical gold at any price. And if that's the case, that will make these gold companies extremely valuable, the companies that are producing gold. Mm -hmm. And the reason I say you, I don't believe you'll be able to get it at any price is because the run to it will be so huge and countries themselves will be uh, trying to fill their coffers with gold because they know that ultimately the whole fiat paper money system, worldwide paper money system, has to collapse. And uh, gold, I think, will become the mainstay of a, a new international uh, monetary system that evolves. Ian, we've got only about three minutes left. I've got to ask you in terms of the this evolution to back to a gold-backed currency or so uh, because people will just lose confidence in fiat. Uh, the developments are pretty striking, and I think what's taking place with the BRIC countries right now. Uh, wh what are your thoughts on the BRICs? I mean, do you think that may be the catalyst uh, that, that shakes gold free from this uh, repressive paper money regime that is being used to... Uh, to distort the gold market price. Well, I think the yeah, and I think the I, I think the BRICS and, and certainly Russia and China are leading this move to to gold. I mean, both both uh, particularly China, but both countries are are, are purchasing a, a, a huge amounts of gold. And I think the Chinese realize that that will become the mainstay of, of currencies in the future. Uh, the whole system, and that's why too that. Uh, these countries are effectively making war on the dollar, to, uh, and uh, one could say that that's why the Ukrainian crisis is there. America mm -hmm. has never liked countries to sort of wage war on the dollar. Right. Saddam Hussein tried it, and he, we know what happened to him. Uh, Gaddafi tried it, and we know what happened to him. Iran tried it, and... Uh, we haven't had a war, but certainly uh, Iran has been ostracized, and, and basically they've, 
uh, effectively, you know, trying to bankrupt the country. And now Russia has been the mainstay of the war on the dollar, and we know what's happening there. So, because yeah. uh, you lose that petrodollar status, the United States loses that, it's going to be game over. Because yeah. uh, the currency, the U.S. dollar, will become effectively worthless. Yeah, what you say reminds me of something someone recently said. They noted that all these countries that are on our bad list are really countries. They're called rogue nations. They're always the, the countries that have decided to uh, to get rid of the dollar to use other currencies. And, uh, you know, the problem with that is that there's a growing number of rogue nations because I think even Germany and Italy and some various countries that are considered our friends uh, have now decided that they will short-circuit the dollar, use their own currency with China. I think there's some agreements, Iran and China, Russia and China, but some of the European countries as well with China. So very fascinating, Ian. Uh, We're basically out of time here, unfortunately. So much more to talk to you about. But what I would tell my listeners uh, is go to longwavegroup.com, longwavegroup.com. Avail yourself to Ian's insights. They're free. Uh, you can't do much better than that, and it's no, it's not a matter of you get what you pay for, because in this case, you get a lot more than you pay for. You're paying nothing, but you get uh, something that's worth, I think, a very good subscription price. But uh, anyway, that's Ian's business. I want to thank you very much, Ian, for joining me again and, um, and, and updating us on your thoughts. I think they're always, uh, well, like I say, uh, you can laugh at them, you can think Ian's crazy, but the point is that I don't know of anyone else in 1998 that was uh, predicting that the, a new gold bull market of a lifetime was underway. And Ian, you had it right, so congratulations on that. Thanks again for joining me. Well, thank you for having me. Folks, uh, that's about it for the first hour of today's show. I do want to ta- uh, thank Tacey Trump and Matt Widener for making this show logistically possible. Uh, there is more to come, though. Uh, go to jtaylormedia.com, and there I'm going to be talking to Chris Rossini. He's the author of Set Money Free and Daniel McAdams of the Ron Paul Institute for Peace and Prosperity. So go immediately to jtaylormedia.com. I'll see you there. Thank you again for listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with Jay Taylor. Please join us again next Tuesday at noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Caden Resources is an advanced gold mining exploration company with two exceptional gold projects in Mexico. The company's flagship El Barqueño project represents the most valuable opportunity that an exploration company can have, which is the continuous discovery of high-grade gold from surface in arguably the best mining jurisdiction in Mexico. The company's second project, Morelos Sur, has one of the most talked-about land positions in the heart of Mexico's largest producing gold belt. 